attended my first ever camping music festival a couple of weeks ago, and my entire world was rocked. I was there for work as an artist interviewer. And so, yes, my world was rocked because I got to have really intimate conversations with some DJs that I have been head over heels obsessed with for years. And I got to watch Closey be like the talented ass, hot ass boss bitch that she is like alone from backstage. And that was definitely a moment of holy shit, like I've, I've really made something of myself to, to be here in this position. Um, but that's not what really like was so earth shattering for me as profound as that all was. This was the first time that I had ever been in a full blown balls to the wall rave camping environment rather than being at like, you know, a couple hours of a Brooklyn warehouse party or something in downtown LA or like, you know, an official gig going to see a DJ, you know, at like a, at like a safe venue space rather than the bacchanalia and also kind of free for all that comes with camping this this was literally like eat, sleep, rave, repeat in action, which I had never seen before. And even though the behavior was really tame by festival standards, it shook me. You know, more than that, it it shocked me, and it it made me think critically about rave culture in ways that I hadn't before. And when I came home, I fell in to the most insane research hole. I'm, I'm prone to doing this. I'm known to be somebody who experiences something or learns about something or reads about something, watches something, and then falls into this research hole that is all-consuming. And when I say that this one was all-consuming, I mean it was all-consuming. I immediately watched like every available documentary, the Avicii documentary, Swedish House Mafia, um, Under the Electric Sky. Yes, I know that I'm late to a lot of these these docs, but I feverishly watch them and I would regularly stay up until three o'clock in the morning watching YouTube compilations of 20 years of EDC promo videos. Like these crazy people put them together. No, excuse me. They're not crazy. These enthused, these fanatical people put them together at 20 years worth. Um, and I watched the entire thing, like just sat in the dark in my bed with a candle burning, no one else around, staring into the void, watching every single one of these promo videos back to back to back. And I was also watching compilation videos of all of the different sub genres of EDM. I learned what hard style was. I learned what acid house was. And before everybody listening starts to think like, oh my God, who the fuck is this square ass boomer? Like I'm turning this off. This is, stop being so white (laughs) and so fearful and turning into your mother. I myself have a relatively substantial history with 
raving and certainly a substantial history with recreational drugs. But it's been a long time since I've been in that kind of multi-sensory environment surrounded by people who who genuinely and authentically like infuse their day-to-day lives with plur peace love unity respect and who have like all the festivals that they're attending in their bios and who dress up like aliens or animals or fairy princesses spelled f a e r i e like that that was all very foreign to me. My first proper rave was Ultra Music Festival in Miami, which was during spring break of my junior year of high school. And I have no idea how I learned about this festival or how I even really started getting into EDM aside from, you know, what was happening during that time in like 2009, 10, 11, where that shit was really starting to become like mainstream. You'd hear it on the radio, you'd hear it at parties. But the summer before I got into my junior year, I went on a teen tour program and I was on that program with multiple people who lived in Miami. And before that, when I had attended an arts camp, I made a good friend there who was also from Miami, albeit in like a, a very different world that was much more like art and design centric, very indie, very LGBTQ. And somehow I convinced my parents to spend spring break in Miami so that I could go at 16 years old, 17 years old to this music festival that attracted like 150,000 people per day. And I was not intimidated in the slightest, nor did I think that it was weird or like out of the ordinary or intense for me to be doing this. Like I've talked about in many past episodes, I was a hard partying teenager and my club life was as such in New York during that time that I was like, oh yeah, like whatever. This is just what I'm doing at home on a grander scale in the sun. This was not the first time that I had done ecstasy. The first time I had ever done E was with my high school boyfriend in like the safety of my home. And so that feeling of euphoria that you're going to hear all of our contributors this week talk about that feeling of like it hits you and the whole world opens up and colors are brighter and feelings are stronger and you have this profound love for people that you didn't know was there and you finally understand the meaning of collective consciousness and unity that was all stuff that I experienced like on my bedroom floor with my boyfriend who I really loved so it was just like us running around the house going like, I love you, I love you, I love you. So I didn't experience that initial come up in a crowd of 150,000 people with a roaring baseline behind me. But I, I do understand how experiencing that for the first time in a crowd when music is playing in the back, I, I can understand why somebody would experience that and be like, holy fuck, life is never going to be the same for me ever again. And that's what keeps them coming back to the scene. I will never, ever forget my second year at Ultra being in the crowd with a couple of my friends from high school who had also gone down uh, 
for the festival and it, we were in the crowd for David Guetta. David Guetta was the headliner. And when David Guetta was good back in the day, David Guetta was fucking good. And at Ultra, he premiered his song, What Are We Supposed to Do After All That We've Been Through? Can't find a reason to keep holding. I can't listen to myself sing. Now that the love is gone. You know, like amazing fucking club banger. And when I went to college, it was the first time I had ever gone to a hard festival. I remember hard was happening in San Bernardino. And I went with a group of people that I was friends with, but not like super close with. And being at the hard festival was the first time that I had ever seen people showing up to the rave in full hazmat suits, so much candy on their arms that you couldn't see their skin, um, rabbit tails, rabbit ears, these tiny little like, you know, latex outfits. But more than that, it was like the masks and huffing Vicks vapor rub and people giving each other massages as the crazy baseline is going off. And there was just something very seedy about that environment that I was not exposed to going to Flying Lotus and Gas Lamp Killer gigs and, and being around a bunch of, you know, sexy Europeans in, in Miami and, and being in the club. Cause it was like in the middle of this random like park or these random grounds and it was dirty and it was dark. And they, there were just a lot of people there where I was like, Oh God, like I don't feel safe. And that was my freshman year, I believe. And after that, I was like, I'm done. And now as an adult, all of these years later, I have a special affinity for, as I was saying, Deep House and Acid House, now that I know what that is, Ugh, educated babe, um, and New Disco and, you know, just kind of a tropical house, like upbeat, vibey electronic music. It does wonders for um, my ADD because my brain and any ADD brain naturally functions at a really high BPM. And you're just kind of, when you wake up in the morning, it's like, it just goes. And when I work in silence, I have a really hard time focusing because there's white noise in my head that I can not only visualize, but I can also hear coupled with the physical sensation when you have ADD of kind of crawling out of your skin. And I find um, deep house to be really like soothing for me. It almost keeps me on the right track because my heartbeat and, and my white noise operates at the same frequency that a lot of these songs do. So it, it, it's not that I don't have an appreciation for EDM or even EDM culture. I think what shocked me at this festival that I went to was that we are now living in a time where insomniac events, insomniac is the company that puts on EDC, their events attract like a million people a year. And these are highly advertised events and they're, they're these alternative realities, these alternate universes that are specifically engineered to do drugs. They're specifically engineered to be hallucinatory and, and, and not of earth. Like it's neon 
everything, every single possible surface is covered in neon. And there's carnival rides that are throwing you up into the air when you're on God knows what drug, also covered in neon. And everybody is wearing head to toe furry boots and furry jackets and glitter and stars. And, and I don't need to keep repeating myself. Like we all are familiar with what festival fashion looks like to the, to the untrained eye. It makes no sense. And I started after going to this festival, just being like fixated on how is it that this booming mainstream business exists where everybody knows what's happening at these events. Everybody knows that these are drug circuses, especially since the media who like love a scandal and love something going wrong, pick up on the fact that every time one of these festivals happens, tons of people go to the hospital, tons of people get arrested and tons of people die. And the concept of this like mass trip or this mass role is in certain ways really beautiful but it's it's also really scary to think about the concept of like tens, if not literally hundreds of thousands of people on drugs together at the same time. So the social dynamics of it are really fascinating to me because I also started thinking like, okay, this is escapism and I love escapism. I seek escapism. I encourage escapism in all of my work. But but this level of escapism of like basically being on drugs for however long you're at this festival or being at a rave for 12 hours on drugs with a pacifier in your mouth and these lights flashing and a nonstop baseline, it, it's, it's, it, there's a violence about it. There really is. There's a violence about it. And especially for people who like dubstep or harder bass music, hard style, or like even some sorts of, of techno. I had a really hard time understanding, like, how is this appealing to people? Like, what about this is soothing? What about this is calming? Because to me, this, this all looks like an anxiety attack. I posed the question in the questionnaire that I sent out to our contributors today, do we think that raving is productive escapism or or do we think it's actually dangerous escapism? And if it is dangerous escapism, the fact that it's happening on this scale at this quantity is, it's pretty wild. But it, it's fascinating to to dig into it. And as we all know, I love anything that's kind of underworldly or, uh, you know, exists in the dark corners of the human experience. And I think that while raving has become such a mainstream activity, it also very much does exist in the dark corners of the human experience because you think about what makes people want to rave in the first place. A lot of people who are hardcore lifestyle ravers talk about feeling like outsiders in their day-to-day life. You think about the drug usage. You think about whether or not peace, love, unity, respect can translate after the drugs have worn off. I mean, it's it's, it's this, this fascinating ecosystem. And so today, we are going to be hearing from people who are in this world. I will admit that most of the time when I'm doing a podcast episode, it's about a topic that I already kind of know about on a surface level, but want to know more about and already like approve of. And not to say that I didn't approve of raving, but it scared the shit out of me. And it still kind of does. And so 
to come out of this episode with my mind kind of changed and and to have this perspective of like, okay, certain components of rave culture don't do it for me, but I understand why people do it. I understand what draws people to this world. It That's a very rewarding thing. So I'm very excited to present these submissions to you today. And without further ado, let's get into it. Submission number one. I got into the EDM scene in high school. I come from a very religious background and very strict parents, so I wasn't ever allowed to go out or have sleepovers. By the time I got to junior year and had my first boyfriend, my mom decided I was mature enough to have some freedom. Go figure. I never told her I used it to go to raves. Then, in 2011, my friend's mom was a lawyer for Ultra Music Festival. For the next five years, she would give me a free day to choose from and attend with our friends. We weren't even close friends. She was just really kind and knew I loved the music. I didn't try drugs until my third year at Ultra because I had so much energy back then. I felt like I was on drugs just being in that large crowd. What drew me in most to the culture was a sense of belonging. It didn't matter who you were and what you looked like. Everyone was welcome. And then, the first time I took Molly, it felt like a whole new fucking world opened up. Not to sound like a pookie head, but holy shit, there is nothing like the first time you roll. That level of euphoria is something I've never felt in my regular life. I have nothing negative to say about my experiences with with Molly, and that is mostly because I always made sure I had enough water and I never overdid it. Except for that one time, I bought overpriced festival molly and bit the insides of my cheeks so badly that I couldn't eat for a week without crying. Lesson quickly learned, buy your drugs from people you trust and test them if you can. For me personally, the bonds created through acid and molly only made for better, stronger friendships. The EDM world took a backseat for me when I went to school at a conservatory But then, freshly graduated me took off to Europe solo and bought EDC Vegas tickets drunk off champagne in a Salzburg bathtub. I was Facebook friends with someone who lived on the other side of the country and we had never met, but decided it would be a perfect idea to meet at the festival. Honestly, we were right. That first EDC Vegas not only solidified my love for EDM, but brought me my rave family. We started with three girls who barely knew each other and every year added someone new to the group. It always happened organically and randomly. Like, we met one of our friends because he had lost his group, we really connected, and then spent the next two days together. Our group is very eclectic. We all do different things for work and we all live in different states, so we see each other once or twice per year depending on the festival we plan to do together. It's a group of friends brought together by music. Festival fashion is whatever the fuck you want it to be. I think it's wonderful to have a place where social norms don't really apply. You can say fuck you to society for three days, and that's why it's heavily criticized. I love seeing people in their crazy outfits. If I want to dress like a fairy, it's because I want to feel like one. But if you see me with a pacifier in my mouth, it's not by choice. It's so that I don't absolutely destroy my teeth. Being in the EDM scene for over 10 years, I feel like I've graduated from certain genres. My tastes have definitely changed a lot. 
When I started out at 15, I only listened to mainstream EDM, Avicii and Tiesto. By the time I went to EDC, I transitioned to house, deep house, and even techno. Growing up in Miami, we had Space Club, Miami Music Week, and the Winter Music Conference, so I could go to the club and listen to the DJs I liked whenever I wanted. But it also taught me discipline and how to pace myself. I feel like many people get sucked into the party world and they never get out of it. I enjoy spiraling for 12 hours just as much as the next person, but I also pride myself in my ability to say no. I love the music, and I enjoy the drugs, but I never want it to affect my life negatively. Raves are a productive form of escapism for me. I love my regular life, and it's enhanced by going to a festival or two per year and just completely detaching from my phone and reality. Submission number two. I first got into EDM in college. Although we were typical rap and top 40 listeners, the guys in our group were already kind of into EDM. They had their favorite DJs, and one of our friends even started producing his own songs, so we were listening to it all the time. Tech House and Bass House were our bread and butter, which slowly turned into weirder, more aggressive shit like Trance and Dumpstep. One of the best EDM clubs in the world is in the city that I live in, and I remember walking into this place for the first time and just immediately being bombarded with this feeling of radical acceptance. It was interesting because you wouldn't look at my friends and I and think we were the type that were seeking acceptance. A group of pretty well-off, good-looking, and intelligent 20-year-olds at a good university. But something about that environment makes you feel like you don't need to care about any of those things. You could look, however wear whatever, and be whoever, and you were welcome. The appeal of these raves is having an excuse to listen to fun music, take Molly, and dance until 3am on a Saturday night on a pretty regular basis. Obviously, we know that taking Molly regularly is horrible for you, so we'd switch it up and do really any kind of upper. Some friends like to trip at these shows, but that always seemed way too overwhelming for me personally. I think the drug culture is a huge part of why everyone at raves is so fucking kind to each other, but it's not the only reason. Once you've gone to enough of them, you're always looking out for the people around you who are having a hard time with their drugs, even strangers. I definitely went to my fair share of shows on an extended release Adderall, aka pretty much sober, and was the girl buying people waters, fanning them, hugging them, holding hands, and doing whatever it was that that person needed to get through, simply because someone else had done that for me at some point. There was one festival that a very large group of our extended friends went to. The girls snuck our drugs in by triple wrapping them in tiny baggies and shoving them in our vaginas. Things got a little hairy when all 23 of us took our molly at the same time. Then the group split up before anyone started to come up. I couldn't really tell you what happened because no one remembers, but we live to tell the tale. There was also a time on Halloween one year when some of us decided to snort what we thought was molly, but turned out to be meth. Our legs were non-functioning and our one friend couldn't even stand up. Other friends who were there said our pupils were the size of dessert plates and we were allegedly dancing like psychos, talking to every attractive person in the club and pretty much didn't sit down for the rest of the night. This is when we started testing our drugs before taking them. I can't really explain the appeal of certain subgenres like dubstep or rhythm or trance. I think it's a sensory thing. The drops can be more intense. 
I have really close friends who work on Wall Street who are obsessed with dubstep. So part of me wants to say it's some sort of primal release thing. I genuinely ask myself all the time why or how rave culture has become so acceptable. I think it's kind of reminiscent of the disco culture with all of the fun outfits and full-on experiences you get with the music, like Studio 54. Also, any genre of music has the ability to make their events the kind of full-on explosive magical experiences that people get from EDM, but they just don't, and that's on them. Anyway, all of this is to say that I personally think EDM culture means and is something different to every single person who's a part of it. For me, above all else, it's just about unadulterated fun and absolute freedom. I think raves are a productive form of escapism. If someone approached you and gave the options of joining this community that involves fun music that you can dance to for hours, light shows, interesting visuals, and sometimes even art art installations where you can wear whatever you want and even do drugs if you want to, and everyone is super nice— Or you can join a kickball league and have to wear some fucking ugly team t-shirt and kick a fucking ball and then run and maybe have a beer after. I think most people would go with option one. Submission number three. EDM was something that always interested me. Around 13, 14, I started listening to a lot of music that had synth aspects to it, such as Kill Paradise and Sonny Moore's Gypsy Hook album, which then led me to Benny Benassi, Daft Punk, and other classic EDM artists. I went to my first show in the summer before I turned 17 and immediately found myself fully immersed in the scene. I've been to warehouse parties, mountain parties, mainstream events, even a week-long gathering for the solar eclipse. In the beginning, my obsession was about the sense of family and belonging. Then it was the music and the fashion, and now travel opportunities. I've traveled to so many places in the U.S. in the name of dance music. While EDM has found itself more mainstream over the last few years, I do think that a large part of those who are truly attracted to the scene felt left out of regular society in one way or another. I was bullied fairly heavily as a kid and struggled socially in school, typically keeping my friend group very small. My family life, while not immediately obvious at the time, was also not the healthiest or the most supportive. When I found raves, I became an entirely new person. People gushed over my weird fashion choices and the things I made. They liked my multicolored hair. They loved that I was excitable and talked a lot. I was quickly adopted into a rave family the night of my first show. I had been talking to a couple of girls, told them it was my first rave, and they jumped at the chance to adopt a new member into their group, and bestowed a rave name upon me. We used rave names back in those days, because when you were at a rave, the world was just different. It was no longer harsh, judgmental, or lonely. So you too could be a totally different person, if that's what you wanted. Over the years, the majority of my rave family stopped going to shows. Some moved away, some had parents who sent them away, some grew out of it, some had legal trouble, some I simply lost touch with, and a couple of the most influential people from my early rave days are sadly no longer with us. They had their struggles even before finding EDM and drugs. I took drugs at my first show and then fell into heavy... My God, I took drugs at my first show and then fell into heavy usage quickly. 
likely because I had been in need of mental health help and these drugs did what the prescriptions did. Plus they made everything feel soft and fuzzy and lights look really pretty. I know my limits now and that I don't like downers or opiates of any sort, but I didn't always. I went to the hospital one time. There was also a time at a camping party that I was given more acid than I can handle and sent on a bad trip. I had to be taken home, and while in the car driving back to town, I felt the urge to jump out of the vehicle. They had to turn on the child lock and put me in the back seat. This was all within the first two years of my career, and for about three years after that, I attended every show sober. I now attend everything within my home base sober, while saving going really hard for camping festivals. I think there's so much value in attending shows sober because that's I think there's so much value in attending shows sober, but that's because I love everything about the experience itself. The love that exists, the kindness of people at these events, it's there even when you're not high. And if it's not, you're not with the right people. The drugs were just a tool that brought me and my tribe together, cracked us open so that we could share ourselves with with others. <sighs> the drugs were just a tool that brought me and my tribe together cracked us open so we could share ourselves with others. I have become a much more open, loving, understanding person when I am sober because of my experiences on drugs. Now, festival fashion. Festival fashion is a chance to experiment with things that may get you weird looks on the street. I'm actually a really introverted person and hate drawing any sort of attention to myself on a day-to-day basis. But when I'm at an event, I can be the exploding sci-fi fairy rainbow weirdo that lives in my head, but I don't have the energy or the guts to bring out in my day-to-day life. It's a chance to experiment, to reject reality. And it's all about wearing what you're comfortable in, mixed with the fact that those crowds can get hot. I recently discovered that pasties were comfortable, which led to ditching bras altogether at festivals. The last event I attended was in Vegas, and it was 100 degrees well into the night, so who could wear clothes? I had never worn something so skimpy before, but I was surprisingly comfortable and got tons of compliments on my outfit. I was heavily into making candy when I was a baby raver. Allie's note, candy is spelled K-A-N-D-I. Back when I was going to small local shows, candy trades were only something you did after you had gotten to know someone. It didn't have to be a very long conversation, but you had to have some form of connection. After that, trading that candy again was something heavily frowned upon as it was a friendship bracelet. I was a part of groups that made large projects and traded candy with people all around the world through the mail. I made a backpack, bikini top, large bracelet cuffs that stuck out a good six inches. Unfortunately, elastic and beads break down over time, but I still have some pieces from my very early days and can tell you who, who each of them came from. I do think that the different subgenres tend to attract different people. For example, at a hard style show, you're likely to see more neon colors, anime-inspired costumes, larger candy with toys attached. At a deep house party, you may notice a slightly older crowd, dressed down, more muted colors. Trance, you'll get the fairies and the pretty pastel princes and princesses that look like they came out of a dream. And at a headbanging show, you'll see a lot of piercings and tattoos and chains and leather accessories with more earth tones throughout. 
It's amazing to see the variety of vibes that are created by a slightly different tempo or beat. Personally, I'm not big on rhythm, as the kids call it these days. That's the dubstep that sounds like Transformers having sex badly. But some of my friends who like it tell me they just don't want to think about anything. They want to thrash about and take a break from their own minds, and the music does that for them. I can respect that. It can be hard to be singing along to something that gets you all up in your feels. Overall, festivals and those who attend them don't have to reject the real world. They can become a framework of what we want our true world to be like. A caring, accepting, beautiful, playfulness-encouraged world of wonder and opportunity. As the numbers at Raves continue to grow and the message spreads, maybe we can build a kinder earth for everyone. As a teenager, I was into punk, metal, emo, all the alternative genres. Uh, I was kind of a music snob. Uh, Probably still am without any right to be. I grew up in rural Washington state, so my exposure to music was basically what I would find on the internet in 2005-2006. I remember in 2008 or 2009, one of my friends found this thing called a dubstep. We had no idea, like, a context for it, but my friends would listen to it. I didn't really care about it. In 2010, I remember getting a call from my friend Aaron to go to a rave with him in the middle of the woods that night. We are just laughing at this idea. It sounded really fucking stupid, to be honest. But it was like a 24-hour rave called the Candy Carnival. So we drive the two hours. Probably got there at like 12.30 or 1 in the morning. I had never experienced anything like this. I don't know if I've ever called the initial experience magical at that moment, but I can't think of anything else to describe how it felt in retrospect. The last half hour, we were driving down single-lane dirt roads in the middle of nowhere with little to no phone service. But then all of a sudden, we hit a clearing, and instantly it felt as if we were transported to a new world. In the middle of the woods, the entire sky above us is just covered in lasers. There's a giant circus tent in the middle of the field, a Ferris wheel next to it. Music coming from all around us. I thought electronic music was stupid. I was like, how am I going to enjoy this? I had a bunch of packs of cigarettes and a bottle of Percocet in my glove box from when I had strep throat a month before. Don't ask how they pres- thought that was a good idea to prescribe to an 18-year-old. I decided to take one or two of the Percocet. Uh, I meet a guy. He asked me about my cigarette. I had a bunch. They were like $2 packs. So I just gave him a couple. And he was floored by the gesture, offers me Molly. I was like, sure, absolutely. I had never done it before. Uh, take a big key bump. And I'm like, almost to me, I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, what happens if you take Molly with Percocet? And he's just like, why? I'm like, because I just took some in my car before I walked over here like five minutes ago. He's like, you're about to be in for a night. I remember it all hit me at once. And I'm sitting in this barn with dubstep blasting. I can't move. <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, oh, God. Uh, my friend Aaron finds me and gets me out of the room. There was this insufferable Mario remix that came on, and I could not handle it. Between the bar- the dubstep barn and the trance tent, there's this concrete slab, and it was the hard dance stage. And I was like, this seems kind of fun. Been a couple hours. I'm starting to sober up. I remember that I had, like, a Powerade bottle of Jack and Coke in my car from, like, the weekend before. I was trashy. Still am. I chug it. So I'm pretty drunk. 
I go over to this concrete slab, probably the first time in my life that I danced because I really wanted to and I felt it. There's a video somewhere out there on YouTube, I think still, of me just stomping to hardstyle. Hardstyle is the stupidest music I have ever loved, and I am embarrassed to say how much I love that music. Uh, I get home the next day, and I just want to know more about this music. What was that that I had just went to? I find a thing online called Ishker's Guide to Electronic Music. And for, like, guitar music, I'm one of those people who was like, oh, this is this subgenre of hardcore, blah, 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 post-emo revival hardcore, I don't know. You know, just really stupid, specific genre stuff that no one cares about. Even I don't care, but I like to know it. I find this whole new world of all these genres, and I am just amazed that it exists, and I want to know more. I had a lot of friends back home that were like, peace, love, unity, hippie, more like probably like thought they were more like Bob Marley than they did hippies, but they were all terrible people. I never liked hearing people say that because it's like, you're some of the scummiest people I've ever met, and you're trying to tell me about peace, love, and unity. Hearing plur, the word respect tagged on there, I still think plur is the stupidest word. I don't believe anyone that really preaches it, but that was something that like resonated with me a lot because it it's how I feel towards people. Like Showing people respect is the most important thing. Everything else comes from that. I remember taking ecstasy again and just being like, Hey, Aaron, I'm not sure if it's doing anything to me. It might have been a bunk pill. And I'm like, as I'm saying it, I'm like, can I try another one? He's like, sure, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm like, wait, I'm like, I just got this weird tingly feeling in my, like, hands. He's like, oh, you might be starting to. And then I just yell, oh, my God, and fall to the ground. This is a trend with me taking ecstasy. I get too overwhelmed. I can't handle it being around people. Uh, I am a drinker when I party for these kind of things. Going to raves just put this whole new side of myself out there. I always felt like I was a shy person. Very not confident. But going to these things, I just like felt like I could truly like express myself and be myself. I was not the weirdest person there. I first started going to raves when I was in college. I kind of went from a class of 20 to 2000 over the course of a summer. And despite being, you know, a public school, majority of the kids that I was in the class with were, shall we say, kind of quote unquote, pretty cool. Um, they were kind of either the offspring of like ex-musicians or, you know, quite a lot of them were actually offering like arms dealers but I was pretty painfully normal in comparison so when I initially started going out to raves it was pretty much just to fit in and kind of go with the flow of what everyone else was seemingly doing but my first experience at a rave was uh in East London at a kind of pretty infamous venue which in actual fact when I look back on it um was pretty much a squat it was a uh, boarded up pub uh, which basically had a massive sound system and 
a seriously sweaty ceiling, which would kind of consistently drip into your drink over the course of the evening. Um, it was one of those places that kind of just like broke the fourth wall. Like it was so terrible and horrible that it was actually kind of amazing. Um, in terms of the night itself, like I don't really remember particular details from the night, like the flashbacks that I do still retain are kind of characterized by like, just hugging loads of people, you know, pledging my undying love to complete randomers, which very quickly turned to like complete disgust when the lights came on eight hours later. Um, you know, I couldn't tell you what kind of music was playing. I couldn't tell you who I spoke to, but I know that I had a really fucking great time. Me personally, like I'm a pretty emotionally introverted person. So, but what I noticed is that although I initially started to go to raves was just to kind of blend in I luckily ended up going with a group of people who were really silly and just loved to get loose and I just ended up I don't want to say like coming out of my shell but I definitely lost a lot of inhibitions and my self-consciousness and generally just kind of felt more confident um there was no judgment everyone was pretty much so high or like kind of off in their own world that they aren't watching you. No one is watching you. So ultimately it kind of gives you the freedom to really kind of enjoy yourself however you want to do it, whether that's dancing or even if you hate the music, you sit outside and talking to random strangers about pretty much whatever you want for as long as you want. And I guess it was just giving you the freedom to really kind of enjoy things on your own terms. Drugs obviously play a big role when it comes to raves and festivals. It's kind of a given that if you go to a rave, people will be taking something. And obviously it's a big contributor to the openness, the silliness, the lovingness that you encounter in the people and general vibe of the party. I think we've all like seen the memes. You've even got like bouncers and security men like taking things and just like shacking out basically to the music as it's as it's happening um but you know ultimately when you have that many people shall we say like indulging ultimately there are a number of cases where it all goes wrong you know there's bad trips vomiting aggression blah 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 all of that um and that's always really a, a real bubble bursting moment and takes kind of everyone out of that mindset and you know to be completely honest with you I don't care how long you say that you've been going to raves. It's always really fucking scary because of how wrong it can go. Um, you know, recently I was at a rave, um, and I had thankfully brought my own items with me. And after I left, uh, the night that party was cancelled for a couple of weeks afterwards because essentially someone had come and sold a bad batch of pills to a number of people at the event. And lots of people had got sick and two people actually died as a result. And I think the thing that's quite tragic about this, even outside of the fact that, you know, two young people kind of lose their lives is that this kind of story is the type of story which ultimately ends up making it into the media and ends up kind of perpetuating this narrative that all drugs are bad and all drugs kill people every time you take them, which of course there's an element of truth to, but instead of encouraging people, you know, not to take drugs, it kind of actually has the opposite effect. So I feel like my earliest memory when it comes to electronic music 
is probably from when I was 11 years old. Uh, my brother was driving me home and he stuck in like a CD that he burned from LimeWire. That's kind of the music that I listened to uh, until now. But my first music festival or rave that I went to was Ultra in Miami back in 2013. And that was like a revelation for me. I think as I continued to go to these things, kind of gravitated towards the social scene. At first, I didn't really meet too many people, but eventually um, certain festivals that I went to, not like uh, ones that occurred in cities, so like camping festivals, I ended up meeting groups of people where I actually bonded with them and created uh, more concrete friendships. And I think that's something that's really kind of unique about going to a multi-day festival that happens separated, you know, in the wilderness or on an island somewhere, because it really allows you to kind of immerse yourself in this experience um, with just a group of people, you know, some people that you know, some people that are strangers, and really kind of just disconnect from the hustle and bustle of the world around us. I think with regards to large-scale events and, you know, the decorations that they use and how uh, psychedelic or whimsical some of the things could be, the question may stand that, you know, these are places that encourage drug use and it's a little weird that, you know, things like this are allowed to happen. But if we look at the history of festivals or raving in America, we can look back at the Rave Act of early 2000s. Or just the war on drugs in general. Um, we can see that this, you know, hardline approach to uh, drug use never really worked in the past. And I think we also see examples of this uh, at festivals in other countries, like in Canada or in the UK, where there's drug testing on site, where the approach isn't uh, to discourage drug use it's to make sure that people are educated and aren't taking you know dangerous things but i think it's also kind of dangerous the amount of people that you know start off in the scene really for the music and then can't really enjoy themselves without doing whatever their drug of choice is anymore i can definitely recall a time where i pointedly took way too many drugs and unsafe amount because I was at a festival in which my uh, now ex-girlfriend cheated on me like the day that we got there. So it was a point of escape for me at that point. But I don't think that's always the case. I think, uh, especially as people progress through the scene, they realize that, you know, um, taking too much of a drug or drinking too much alcohol or partying too hard is not fun and having to deal with the after effects of it is not fun either. In my experience, the culture that surrounds, you know, acceptance and love and all of that is kind of a facade. <laughs> the same people that exist in the real world that are shitty, uh, are just a shitty in festival world. It just, you know, because everyone's just trying to have a good time, they make excuses for it. Now, with regards to fashion, I think that you can kind of break down festival fashion into three kind of groups. You have your candy kits, which people like 
candy all over their arms, furry hoods and stuff like that. You have, you know, your industry cool kids that are wearing all black. And then I'd say you have, you know, somewhere in between that people just expressing themselves um, in the same way that people express themselves in their daily fashion. But I don't think any of it's really related to the drug use, honestly. I think it's just an embracing of the more childish slash carefree side of yourself. A lot of people work corporate jobs, can't wear anything near something like they would wear at a festival. I still find that there's value in going to these festivals, whether it's specifically for the experience or for the networking. I mean, um, the job that I work at now is specifically because of going to festivals. My brother was actually the one to bring me to my first show. So that's how I got into raves. Um, it was Rufus Du Soul at the Fillmore Theater in Denver in November 2018. Um, I also had a good friend in college who had moved to Denver and gotten into the music scene. So after we went to that first or that Rufus show, uh, we started going out more and more with that friend and his group. And um, the rest is history. Yeah, at first it was really just a fun party um, and everyone was so loving and accepting. Um, I've been fortunate to always feel like I belonged within my friend groups. So I wasn't necessarily searching for that feeling. But after really getting into this scene, I truly have never felt more understood and seen than I have in rave culture. I think the component that speaks to me the most is the come-as-you-are aspect of the rave. Uh, my friend group and I always say, is it weird? Sign me up. Because it just doesn't matter. It's it's just like, yeah, sure, let's do it. You know, what's the harm in it? I think a group of humans having the same collective experience with music, which is already transcendent, uh, is powerful. A lot of electronic music is also very much a journey. So with each set, I'm getting to go on a journey with some of my best friends, and I love that. I would not necessarily identify as alternative. I'm a banker living in a conservative area and grew up evangelical and going to church every Sunday. Uh, so pretty white bread life that I've lived. Um, but I think the come as you are aspect of the rave drives people to bring out their inner freak. But I think we all have that in us. You know, it just depends on if we let it come out or not. Cheers to the original outsiders, black, trans and trans and gay men and women who paved the way for us to have this music in the mainstream now and to be able to fully be ourselves. Um, I think a lot of what we're experiencing now, we're like, no, it's, it's, you know, it's easy. We're just going to a show and everyone accepts that and it's fine. You know, we owe a huge debt of gratitude to the people that were willing to let that free flag fly and be exactly who they were in the times when it wasn't as accepted. I would definitely say Going to the rave is a religious experience. One of the, the moments I really realized that was we saw Lane 8 on top of the mountain, and he was supposed to play a seven-hour set because uh, the guy that was going to come play for a couple hours wasn't able to make it, so he had to play the whole thing. And his whole thing is this never happened, so you can't take pictures or record. They put tape around your phone. Um, so you're just there in the moment with the people who are there with you. So at about hour six, it started raining, and that turned into sleet since we were at about 12,000 feet um, elevation. And everyone was just in ponchos, absolutely soaked and muddy, just dancing their asses off until the decks broke. They legit just cut out because they were too wet. 
And Lane 8 said, well, I guess that's it, folks. And we just cheered and we're crying and, you know, all the things because um, it was just such a beautiful experience. And I think in that moment, I thought, this is church. If Jesus was a real person, I absolutely believe he would be raving with us. There are a lot of drugs in the scene, absolutely. Um, it's filled with all different kinds of things. Uh, and I do know a lot of people are into it because of the drugs. I think it's the group of people that... Um, are using the rave as an escape and not just as, you know, an experience to enhance their lives. I'm per- perfectly happy sober. Um, I love my life as a sober person um, and my normal life, I guess, if you'd want to call it. But I also love the rave and because um, it I think the drugs just enhance the experience for me. Alcohol is legal and widely accepted, and it's nine times out of ten more dangerous than anything that um, ravers are doing <laughs> with drugs. And so it's just about being safe and also um, educating people who may not know, and maybe even especially the younger crowd as well, who is just getting into the scene and not judging anyone on where they're at in their drug knowledge or experience. Peace, love, unity, and respect is, you know, that transcends any type of drug. I don't see myself growing out of the scene. I love my friend group is already in their later 30s. We have a couple in their 40s. I think it's awesome. I I love watching the videos of, you know, dads and moms coming with their kids to the rave. And um, because music is for everybody, you know, and it's like it's not like that. We should stop expressing ourselves after our 20s and 30s. Now, I may get more tired and not be able to go to as many shows when I get older. um, But I hope. I hope that I don't grow out of it at least. So my first rave was back in 2018 for Halloween. I went to see Black Coffee in a Brooklyn warehouse. I had never been to anything like that. I was supposed to go to Marquee that night and see two friends. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, Two of my best friends that I grew up with uh, agreed to come with me. The three of us took ecstasy for the first time, and we had one of the best nights of our lives. You know, from there on, I was like, I love it. I'm I'm down with this. You know, show me more. My social scene has definitely changed since I entered the rave scene. Um, I had a couple of friends who were in that scene, but through that scene, I've met a ton of people who, you know, at raves, outside of raves, I hang out with those people. Um, there's a whole group of friends that I made just because I met a few of them at the Brooklyn Mirage and, you know, I hang out with those people all the time. I've known them for a couple of years now. Um, so I would definitely say that my social life is a lot more interesting. Uh, it's more diverse. There's a lot more going on. There's different events to go to different options. I don't find myself going to the same bars that I was kind of going to the same basic places, either in the Lower East Side or, you know, where I'm going to run into everybody I know from college or growing up. The drugs. (laughs) Um, So, yes, of course, drugs are a big part of rapes. I personally dabble in them at pretty much every event I go to in some way, shape, or form, whether that's cocaine, ketamine, molly, ecstasy, other acid, others. Um, You know, people around me are taking things, I'm taking things. Um, And yeah, I mean, I would say that the experience is definitely engineered, you know, for people who are doing that. Um, Why hasn't it been cracked down on? I think that the venues, the security, 
you know, whoever's hosting these events, they know their audience, they know their crowd and they want people to keep coming back. And so I think that there's a little bit of leniency, you know, kind of an unwritten rule. As long as you're not too obvious about it, we're not going to take it away. You're not going to get caught. A couple months back, uh, it was very late. It was like five in the morning at a warehouse. A friend of mine said, hey, we're all out of drugs, but I found this bag of Coke on the floor. Let's do some. I had never done anything like that before, but in the moment, I wasn't really thinking. I said, sure, why not? 30 minutes later, the two of us were on another planet. We had no idea what we were on. It was really scary. Luckily, it wore off, but for all we know, we might have done meth or PCP. Those were our best guesses, but to this day, we still don't know. And things like that happen to lots of people. They don't know their limits. They don't know, you know, what they're doing. They, um, they're trying something new and it, it doesn't go well. Honestly, I think that really you just have to be with the right people, you know, people that you trust. You just have to be as safe as you can. The music overall is really special to me. I think that it can make you feel a certain way. There's, Really just something about when a song or a sound that you've never heard drops and you make that face. You know, I like to call it the stink face or the stinky face. And it's just like, wow, that sound, that song. And it's just something special that I feel like other music doesn't have that effect on you. Do I see myself growing out of this scene? I don't know. Um, right now, I just turned 26 today, actually. Happy birthday to me. But I, I don't see that finish line in the future. I have friends who are in their 30s. I've met people who are in their 40s or 50s, you know, through through the scene. And I even met a guy who, you know, he has a wife and kid, and he runs uh, an Inner Visions fan account. He has a, you know, we we did ketamine uh, at a rave one time, and he was telling me about his wife and daughter and how great they are, you know. So it's really hard to say. Who knows? I assume that that time will come. Can't predict how my life is going to unfold. But for now, I would say that it's not going to change anytime soon regarding that matter. I first started getting into EDM and going to raves when I was like a really young age. So I grew up in Manhattan, downtown Manhattan. We were going to raves at like 15. Um, or even like younger, <laughs> 14, like Brook I would say like we, we call them like Brooklyn warehouse parties. I call them raves because I generally don't consider a rave a rave unless it's illegal. If there are employees working there, then it's generally, I would call it more of like a festival. The places we were going, they were completely illegal, but they were also like, in a way they were much more, they were still kind of innocent because they were getting busted like by cops super, super early. I'm sure like the kids who were running them were like making a thousand mistakes and just like had no idea <laughs> what they were doing. So it doesn't surprise me that they were getting busted. I was part of this like very druggy crowd in high school, like very, very, very druggy, like to the point where like even like the more normal kids would not want my friends at parties because they would just kind of fuck everything up. Um, but I'm like a very unique case where like instead of 
um, instead of doing a lot of drugs with my friends, they kind of pushed me away from trying anything. Like I saw them OD. I saw some of them are dead now, died in high school or died since then. And so like, it really pushed me away from trying anything. I was kind of like, like the, not the mom, because that's totally ridiculous that I would ever be considered that, especially if you knew me now. I definitely was more like the trip sitter or whatever. I didn't try anything until I was around like 20 in London. A lot of the rave scene revolves around drug usage. Like if you're I would still go to a rave, not on drugs, like I have many times, Um, and like it's really cool, like about like two weeks ago I was at a rave in Copenhagen and I saw the DJ, she had her baby there, (laughs) like with ear, with you know, headphones on to cover the baby's ears from the noise, Um, so like there's definitely... It's, it's becoming, like, more acceptable to go without drugs, but you're, you're unique if you're there and you're not on drugs. When the mall, your acid wears off, the love still totally exists because, I mean, I've, like, read so many articles. When it does wear off, you still had that experience with someone else. So there are people I've gotten so much closer to just in the span of a night. And it's it still stays, it still lingers even after after the party. So I actually have had a few bad experiences. I have some sort of weird metabolism where I metabolize MDMA and turn it into MDA, which means that I hallucinate extensively on MDMA when no one else is. So I will be like seeing like near acid hallucinations. Uh, when I'm coming down from MDMA it's it's it is pretty that is pretty intense and I do actually like um I dread that when I take it I dread like when I'm coming down I know I'm gonna be seeing some crazy stuff like I've seen people's bodies covered in tribal tattoos glowing tribal tattoos um I've seen like dragons coming out of trees like I've seen really intense stuff for a drug that's not supposed to make you hallucinate. If I had to explain rave festival fashion in my own words, I mean, I am part of the scene. I would say that, and I still think it's kind of a joke, but Instagram has also made it a bit of a joke. Like, girls now who are influencers or, you know, just, like, not really part of the scene, just do it, just go to a rave just to, you know take an take a photo for Instagram in their like burning man outfit I don't really see myself growing out of going to raves but I think that they'll just kind of morph into something totally different like if you look at raves in you know even 10 years ago or 10 years before that or in the 90s like they're so different and so I'm 27 now in 10 years I'll be 37 and I think I'll still, I, 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 I'm the kind of person, like, I don't really want to have kids till I'm, like, 40, you know, so I think maybe I'll grow out of them when I'm, like, (laughs) 45 or something, but who knows, because they're going to probably be such different creatures. I mean, I get the idea of, like, how for 12 hours listening to a nonstop bass line is pretty ridiculous, but, like, I also just totally enjoy it, so... I've been raving for about a decade now. My first festival was Little Jam Bandy Festival in Ohio, and that's really what got me into it. My first rave was in 2013. Um, It was my 21st birthday on New Year's Eve. 
in New York City. I went to a show called Winter Galactic. Porter Robinson was headlining in Dada Life. And they, we had the biggest pillow fights. Um, we were in the Guinness World Record book. There's all these bananas and feathers, and it was wonderful. And we got lost in New York City, and we were on Molly, and it was so fun and crazy. Um, and that was really what got me into the scene. I definitely had that moment of where I felt like I belonged when I saw everyone wearing crazy clothes and dancing like they didn't care and just being free and so nice and loving. I definitely feel like, you know, before I went to raves, definitely more judgmental. I was a cheerleader always in high school, you know, the captain. And then I started going to festivals and I saw all these different people and I got to know all these different people that I probably would have never talked to a long time ago. And you know, really got to appreciate people for who they are. And I would definitely say it could be considered somewhat a religious experience. I would say it's more of a spiritual experience. Music is very spiritual. You know, one of my um, times I'll talk about is, you know, I went to see a show, um, Odessa, and my best friend passed away a few, you know, that year. And we would always go see Odessa together. And it was at Halloween in 2018. And it was the last set of the night and there was a big moon and the drum line started to play. And she literally, her spirit was there. I could feel her spirit hug me and dance with me. And it sounds wild, but it was the most intense moment of probably my life. And so I could see it be considering a religious experience. I would definitely say multi-day camping festivals are so different than concerts. For the fact that you are there, you are immersed in experience for four, three, four days, fully like having to eat with these people, sleep with these people, dance with these people. You know, you're having this whole like family type of experience um, where a concert, you can go home at the end of the night and you get to sleep in your own bed. And it's it's nice to go be able to go sleep in your bed, but it's not the experience of going to a festival. I do think that, you know, festivals can be an escape for people. Um, you know, if you're not in a good place mental health wise, it can go one of two ways. It can make you feel rejuvenated and, you know, feel full of life again and feel like there's hope, or you can do a lot of drugs and get kind of messed up and feel worse afterwards. So I can see why it could be considered escapism. I do feel that the vessels create a loving vibe in themselves. I don't think it's only produced by the drugs. Does it enhance it? Absolutely. Um, but the environment, because it's such a utopia of what the opposite of basically a capitalistic society is, basically allows that openness, that love, that um, unity to form for the fact that it just doesn't have the rules that normal society has about what you can wear, what you can do, what drugs you can take. I have had bad experiences on drugs at festivals with throwing up. Um, you know, so it's really definitely important. It can definitely be a make or break experience depending on where you're at in life and what drugs you decide to take. I do believe that poor can exist without drugs. So festival fashion is like probably my, one of my favorite things about going to festivals. I always go fully out. I usually plan my outfits for like two months in advance. Um, I wear like lots of glitter. I love being as girly as I can. My last festival I wear, I wear a pink bandana in my head, a fuzzy pink bra, snakeskin pink pants, big pink glitter sunglasses, just fully myself. You know, it's definitely one of my favorite ways to show my self-expression, especially because I was so 
put down as a child because of what I wanted to look like and what I wanted to wear. I grew up in a very Catholic society. So it really allowed me to fully express myself through, you know, fashion and, and what I look like, you know, went to elements a few weeks ago and I saw people dressed up as um, full grandparents and old people, like a ball sack hanging down full wrinkles, wigs. I think it's whatever you feel like expressing yourself like you can do there and allows you to have that opportunity. I've seen full furries there. I've, I've seen literally all kinds of people. I see big candy headpieces with lights coming out. I see literally anything at a festival. You know, I am about to turn 29 this year. So I've been going since I said about 21 years old, um, to festivals and graves. It's a hard thing. I keep saying, you know, I'm going to slow down, but a lot of my friends still go. So it's really hard for me. Um, I do think it is a part of me. I don't think I'll ever fully give it up. Um, I will slowly, but truly definitely cut down. I used to go to like three, four, five a year before COVID. And, you know, I, I, I don't see myself for forever, you know, going to do that. So I would say maybe one every year for right now. And then as I get older, slowly will dwindle. And maybe every couple of years I would go to one because you know what, there's no environment like that. And it really is a flickscape from this capitalistic shitty society sometimes we live in. Once again, my name is Allie Weiss, and this has been Tales of Taboo. If any of you listening have had similar experiences and are interested in sharing them with me under the indestructible shield of anonymity, please reach out. You can DM me on Instagram at Allie Weiss World, or you can send me an email, which honestly is preferable at AllieWeissWorld at gmail.com. Weiss is spelled W-E-I-S-S. Love letters, hate notes, complaints, death threats, anything else you have can be sent to that email address. And listen, real talk, I know it's extremely annoying when podcast hosts ask you to subscribe and share with your friends and leave a star rating and a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts, but it really does make a huge difference. I am a one-woman show. The show is not easy to make, and I believe so much in what I'm doing. Every review that I have on iTunes makes it easier for other people to find and love this show too. And if you love my work, I never ask you for a fucking dime. The least you can do is please leave me a review. Even if you want to say that I have the ugliest eyebrows on the face of the earth and my voice sounds like Fran Drescher, whatever. Just leave it. Um, But seriously, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening, for your interest in this topic. And I am looking forward to seeing and hearing you next week. Bye.